When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, everybody. Uh, welcome to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap uh, Giants podcast here from NJ Advanced Media, NJ.com, the Star Ledger. And uh, we are back after the Giants week one victory, 21 to 20 uh, over the Titans down in Nashville. And uh, Daryl Slater here. Joined by Bob Brookover, our new Giants beat reporter, and uh, obviously Bob certainly had an eventful game. I think, uh, got, folks, I think we discovered the problem with the Giants being terrible. It was that Zach Rosenblatt was the beat reporter, and so uh, you know, it really, it was all Zach's fault. So I think that that's the bottom line. And uh, uh, let's, uh, I'll give Bob a, an opportunity here to introduce himself. Uh, so go ahead, Bob. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to blame Zach because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I covered Philadelphia sports for 40 years, and in that 40 years, there were, I covered exactly zero championship teams. So I was a columnist when the Eagles won the suit. Well, a pseudo columnist when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. But that doesn't count as being on a beat. So I was o for o for life as a beat writer, watching teams win championships. I and I covered, finished my career by covering the Phillies for. 10 during their 11 year playoff drought. So I'm taking no credit for this. <laughs> well, it's good to have Bob on board, obviously. And, you know, you can, you all can find our stuff at nj.com slash giants. And we'll be doing this podcast every week, uh, recording it on Tuesdays, most of the time um, coming out of the games uh, and previewing the next week's game. And so, you know, be sure to come, come back here every week on your, whatever podcasting platform you use, you can subscribe to us on that platform leave us a review, like us five stars, the whole thing. So we'll just get right into it. I mean, a plenty to talk about here and um, with the context of kind of what it means in the bigger picture for this team. But um, I guess you could, really with that game like that, you just start at the end, which is you know kind of how you write the game story. The two-point conversion, the gutsy call by Brian Dable. I know in the press box in the moment we were thinking, you know, maybe they're going to try to dry him offside, but no, offside, but no, he went for it. Uh, I thought it was, a, you know, honestly, like I like to call no matter what. If it didn't work, I, you know what, you're, I like it. I thought it was a good call. What, what, what would you, what would your thoughts have been if that didn't work? Well, you know, I think Dable said no matter. I think he said yesterday, no matter what, he he would not have regretted it uh, if they had not gotten it. And when you think about it, uh, the game was going to come down to, you know, if they tied it, the game was going to come down to that field goal. They just tied it anyway, whether they missed or made it. So, you know what? Why not be aggressive? Why not set a tone in week one? Hey, this is how we do things. We attack, we attack, we attack. And that's the message that was sent in that locker room. And, you know, there there, there was so much exuberance in there. And a lot of that was created 
by that decision to go for two. Yeah, I mean, the players certainly stood behind it with a lot of good anecdotes after the game about Dable you know, asking his players, should I do this? It was a very emotional game on a lot of levels, obviously. Brian Dable having um, his grandmother's ashes around his neck and in, in a small little urn, and uh, his grandparents raised him. So very emotional first game uh, for, for Brian Dable as the Giants start 1-0 for the first time since 2016, and they had been – 0-2 every every year since then. But I, I, I guess before we get into the particulars, like player-wise of, of the game, and I'm, Saquon Barkley's a headline, for a team like this, you know, to start 1-0, and considering the expectations, like how big how big do you view that as for, for what this could mean going forward? Uh, you know, a team that hadn't won, hasn't, hasn't won at all uh, since really 2012, 2016, they they had a winning record. They made the playoffs, but didn't didn't win a playoff game. They haven't won a playoff game since they won a Super Bowl. It just just to get that behind them, uh, and, and the fact you know it, it wasn't just an opening day win. It was an opening day win on the road against a team the year ago was the number one seed in the the AFC. You know you you factor all those things in, and teams. This is the way teams that aren't supposed to win gain confidence, and all of a sudden, you know, who says we're not supposed to win? And there there are, you know, one of the things I found interesting talking to guys who weren't on this team uh, through all that, they are in that locker room saying, hey, you know, I've been places where, no, they don't expect us to lose. You, you, you shouldn't expect to lose. Who cares what anybody else is saying? We expect to win. And that's, you know, that's obviously the culture that Dable came from and many of his assistants. And that's the that's the culture they're trying to build in that locker room. Yeah, 100 percent. And and on kind of on the flip side of that, I got a chance to talk to Leonard Williams after the game. And he's a guy who, along with Saquon Barkley, has had a lot of the emotional scars from these close losses that this team has had in, in recent years. Barkley haven't been here since 18, of course, and Leonard Williams midway through 19. And they they found each other in the locker room after the game and basically said, you know, last year, that that's a type of game the Giants would not have won. Um, now they actually were, had a 500 record under Joe Judge in games decided by eight points or fewer, but, but they did lose quite a few of those games in addition to to winning. I think they were eight and eight total under Judge in those games. But um, yeah, they, the the feeling here with this Giants team now is there's certainly more of a belief. Now let's be honest, like if Randy Bullock makes that field goal, uh, which is a somewhat makeable field goal, then. You know, Hey, it's not 64 yards, by the way. Um, and so uh, they, uh, the, the tone is different. So it takes a little luck sometimes, um, but it takes a little guts, uh, especially for a team that's thin on talent to win on the road. And you know what it also takes? It doesn't hurt is 164 yards from your running back. Uh, man, you, you saw Saquon Barkley in his first game back. He looked uh, crazy rejuvenated. How impressed were you by him? He looked like rookie year, and I, you know, I didn't see the Giants as much as you did going back, but he looked like rookie year whenever I saw Saquon Barkley play. Um, you know, that that first year, you, you said this guy is, you know, going to be, if not the best back in the league for a long time, one of the top three. Uh, you know, he was going, they were going, he was he obviously wasn't playing head to head against Derrick Henry, but he was going against the guy who is the best back in the NFL and has been for the last three or four years. And he outplayed Derrick Henry. He was the guy on the field, you know, when, after things didn't go well in the first half, he comes out, has that, what was it? A 65 yard run. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it comes out a 68 yard run comes out and has that run. And that was the point where the Giants said, all right, we're in this thing. Here we go. Uh, and, you know, and he just, when he runs the way he ran his rookie year, he just changes the dynamic of everything. He changes, he makes things better for the offensive line, makes things better for the receivers. And most of all, he makes things better for Daniel Jones. That was the 164 yards, the third most rushing yards in his career. He had uh, one of those better games in 19, one of them in 18. 194 total yards, which by my rough math is looks like the fourth most of his career. Uh, throw in another game from 18 to top that on the list. But yeah, I mean, no matter how you slice it, the, a, a really impressive performance in what he hopes is like a season of redemption uh, for him. And so let's see what it means going forward. Obviously he'll have to stay healthy. He'll have to stay productive. Um, and, and I think there are some issues potentially here that he will have to overcome. And one of those is the interior offensive line, which got absolutely terrorized by Jeffrey Simmons in that game. And all going in, we, you know, we all said, look, John Feliciano is not a proven center. He got benched last year in Buffalo. Uh, the left guard situation is, is very much uncertain. And it would have been uncertain even if they had Shane Lemieux. Mark Lewinsky, pretty solid right guard, but they had a lot of issues in their interior line. They gave up five sacks in that game. Not all of them on the line, of course, some on Daniel Jones. Um, how, I guess what, what can we take away from how the line performed for stretches of, of that game? Well, to me, the most interesting thing was what Dable decided to do on the offensive line at the left guard spot where he, Ben Bredesen and uh, Joshua Zudu split the, split the reps, essentially. I think it was 35 to 28 in Bredesen's favor. You know, he, he wouldn't commit to one or the other, and he still hasn't committed to one or the other. We're going into week two. Um, now, all of that, of course, is not on on – those two guys in terms of the, the pressures and the things that didn't go well on the offensive line. Uh, but this offensive line we knew going into the season was going to be a work in progress. Yes. They have two first round picks on, on the tackles and those guys should continue to get better. And that's a great foundation to build upon, but we knew that, you know, up the middle was not going to be the, the greatest strength for this team. Um, but they, they held up after a, a really, Difficult first half, a, a horrendous first half. Really, they got themselves together. They picked themselves up, and they, they, you know, they started pulling the center and guards, uh, and created running room for Saquon Barkley that way, which was interesting. Um, and obviously, a formula worked, and something that I'm sure we're going to see more of uh, in Week Two against the Panthers. Yeah, you're going to have to move a little bit. They have the you know deficiencies, so you're going to have to keep the defense on the move perhaps a little bit uh, like they did there when they were able to rally the Giants were from a 13-0 uh, halftime deficit, and they were down that much until like 11-15 was left in the third quarter. Uh, and, you know, you could look at it and say they, they did get fortunate. with a, They wouldn't have won the game if they, the uh, Titans made that field goal. They also had a great opportunity to tie the game, and Daniel Jones throws that brutal interception into the end zone. We haven't even talked about Jones yet here. We're <laughs> into this. Usually, it seems like when, when things go poorly, we're leading with Daniel Jones on this podcast. But let's you know, let's give him credit. He did play well. He did play quite well. Um, he did have, as usual, a now let the strip sack wasn't his fault, but as usual, just a brutal turnover that could have completely kind of negated uh, what he what he did positively. 
locks in on Saquon Barkley, stays looking to his left the whole time in that play. We've seen that movie a million times before. Um, and then scolded on the sideline. And I thought rightfully so by Brian Dable. I, I don't see any issue with that. It's his job to coach the player, coach the quarterback. The OC's up in the booth. Uh, I don't, to me... To me, it it wasn't like he slapped the guy across the face. (laughs) But uh, what did you think of the pick and then Dable's uh, reaction on the sideline? Well, first, I'm going to disagree with you that the the strip sack wasn't his fault. I think it was partially his fault because I thought he missed David Sills in the flat wide open. Uh, So I thought thought he held on to the ball too long there. So I I, I would disagree that that wasn't his fault. Um, But – uh, the play to Barkley in the end zone, the, the interception, I think was absolutely his fault. Uh, just, just not a good play. Would I've liked to see Barkley maybe challenge for it a little more, perhaps? But really, Jones stared him down, um, threw the pick. Uh, it looked like it was going to be the deep, deflating moment of the game. And to his credit, he brought that team back. And the, the biggest surprise to me about Daniel Jones was. When I looked at the sheet at the end of the day, he was 17 for 21. Yes, I, it didn't. He didn't seem that good for much of the game, uh, but but 17 for 21, you'll take that whenever. Uh, but also, again, he only had to throw 21 times. You, you factor in five sacks, he tried to throw 26 times. But um, you know that that means that they were running the ball a, a, a good bit. Of, a good bit, which is always going to help them, as we pointed out earlier. As for the confrontation on the sideline, just just very interesting that Dable felt comfortable enough in their first game to, hey, I don't care if I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings or, you know, if Daniel Jones doesn't like this, I'm going to go tell him or, uh, you know, maybe he was that. Maybe he was asking, but I'm going to go find out, hey, what's going through your mind when you're looking at, Barkley and you you're, you're thrown into the end zone against a guy who's pretty well covered what are you trying to do there and if I'm doing it uh in animated fashion so be it and if it gets caught on camera so be it he's the he's the head coach it's well within his rights hopefully Daniel Jones responds well he certainly responded well on Sunday you know and I think Jones has been a guy who has geez and we all know he's had plenty of screw ups throughout his career. He's very much used to processing screw ups whether that is followed by a coach getting upset with him and I'm sure Brian Dable wasn't the first one to do that or, or whether it's just followed by Jones trying to quietly process that himself. So I don't see what I don't see this as a situation where he would be upset in any way. He has no right to be upset. He screwed up in that spot. Um so it, it seems like you know it's funny as as you were mentioning all this it, it brought to mind last year week two Giants game in Washington uh, on the sideline Kenny Galladay yelling at Jason Garrett I mean that that was sort of the epitomized what would be an awful uh, season for Jason Garrett uh, so I would say it's certainly better to be the other way around when you have the the coach scolding the player for a mistake as opposed to the player or receiver uh, barking at his offensive coordinator. I think one of those is clearly more functional than the other, and Giant fans will remember uh, that moment with Galladay and Garrett on the sideline last year. And Galladay later said actually that he was yelling he was, he was yelling at Daniel Jones, uh, which I don't know if that makes it any better or whatever. But um, uh, Giant fans certainly hope that that, that sort of uh, failure, dysfunction, overall disaster is behind this team. Um, and we'll see with Jones. Look, I mean, 39 games, bottom line is 51 career turnovers. Uh, 
21 lost fumbles, 30 interceptions. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. And he's got to, he's got to eliminate that if he wants to show that he can be a franchise quarterback. Because Steve Pulley wrote a good column leading into that game. It's going to be hard for Daniel Jones, to, given all the limitations around him, to prove that he can be the guy. Also hanging over all of that is the fact that the Giants declined a fifth-year option for him for next year for whatever it was, $23 million. If he stays, he's going to make more than that. So he has to play exponentially better. Uh, um, so there's a lot of things working against him. And in the meantime, Joe Shane obviously doing the right thing and scouting uh, all these college quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson down at Florida, um, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, Bryce Young in Alabama, and, and uh, Will Levis from Kentucky being the big four. We'll, we'll be talking – I'm sure we'll be talking about those guys some more throughout the year. Um, but, you know – just switching gears to the defense, you wrote a, you wrote a couple things about the defense after that game, um, and we've been talking so much offensively here. Um, why why do you think this defense undermanned both outside linebackers out? Austin Calitro playing for essentially Blake Martinez. Why do you think they were able to be so successful? You know, I, I, the guy I spoke to after the game a, a lot about it was Jihad Ward, uh, who who filled in an outside linebacker for Thibodeau. Um, you know, they just, they believed that they could do the job and, and they did, uh, you know, the, the fact that they shut down held Derrick Henry to 82 yards on 21 carries, uh, just, just amazing to me because that guy is, is just a bull, uh, you know, maybe the, certainly the highlight of the defensive effort was Tay Crowder really putting a big hit on Henry. You know, it's not often where, one of the linebackers runs into Henry and Henry takes the worst of it. And for whoever's seen that play on video, um, he definitely took the worst of it there. Um, You know, there were, there were some rough moments for the defense too. Obviously the the special teams put him in bad position right at the start of the game. It took four plays for the Titans to go 45 yards. Um, You know, even on the last drive, they, had two bad defensive holding penalties that uh, allowed to the Titans to get into field goal range. But, you know, on that last drive, you know, when you hold a team to where they're trying a 47 yard field goal instead of a a 37 yard field goal, well, you've, you've kind of done your job there too, where you've made it, Hey, this isn't a gimme, gimme kick by any means. Um, you know, the, the defensive line itself played great. I thought, um, Really, you know, they didn't they didn't get a lot of sacks, but the 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 thing I mean, I think any defensive coordinator would tell you when they go when they go and play the Tennessee Titans is we want to make sure we contain Derrick Henry. The Titans helped some. There was some drop passes, some bad penalties, some uh, you know some short yardage situations. I think Henry and a shotgun dropped the ball one time on the snap. Yeah. So the the Titans made their share of mistakes too. But hey, you know what? To, to hold to hold that team to twenty points—that's a pretty good effort by the defense. Yeah, it brings to mind one of my favorite football coaching cliches: "Bend but don't break." So uh, <laughs> they bent. They were pliable. They were a Gumby defense, or whatever dumb analogy, bad joke you want to use. <laughs> like I just did. Well, at my age, I bend. I, I don't bend anymore, but I do break. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the problem. If you can't bend, it's easier. Uh, it uh, it was an interesting first uh, game for Wink Martindale's defense. Bottom line, they hold the Titans to uh, twenty points in that twenty-one to twenty uh, win, and uh, just seven points for the Titans after halftime. And uh, 
coming up here, we'll pitch it ahead a little bit before we uh, give you our just for entertainment purposes for disposing your entire life savings into a pick coming up this week. But the Panthers this week at home, then the Cowboys on a Monday night at home for the Giants, then the Bears at home on October the 2nd, all that before the London trip to play the Packers on October the 9th. And we looked when this schedule came out, I, one of my big takeaways was the the potential for good optics is there for Brian Dayball. And what I mean by that is they had home games against the Panthers, the Bears, uh, the Texans, the Lions. Those are four pretty bad teams. And now the Giants also potentially will st- maybe still be a bad team. They were considered to be one of the worst teams in the league coming into the season. But they are unlikely to get to get boat raced by any of those four teams you would think. And just to put up good product in front of home fans' uh, eyes after some of the disasters of late last season, uh, I think would go a long way toward endearing Brian Dable to this fan base. And now they're in a situation where they won a game they weren't supposed to on the road to open the season. They have a, a these two home, winnable home games coming up against the Panthers uh, with Baker Mayfield, who is obviously better than Sam Darnold, low bar there. And then a winnable home game against the Bears. And now all of a sudden, a Dak Prescott less Cowboys team, and they're not going to get Jimmy Garoppolo. They're going to roll with Cooper Rush. So, what, what's reasonable, do you think, for these next three games, expectation wise? Well, I think, you know, I think if you just go back and you look at the, you know, look at the schedule, which is always a mistake to try to figure out how a team is going to do from week to week in a league where, Guys crash into each other and injuries change everything, so uh, and, and that's already happened here. But I, but it, given that we all do that, I think we all said maybe two and two. You know what? The the Panthers in week two, the Bears in week four at home. You know, they could go two and two, and hey, that would be a pretty good start. Now you look at it and you say, the the, the Panthers at home who, who lost in week one, um, then the Cowboys with Cooper Rush instead of Dak Prescott at quarterback. Yeah, that's a very winnable Monday night game. And then the Bears, who, who meant, you know, they also got a, a, a what they had to feel was a good opening day win. But, you know, still a very beatable team. 4-0, the Giants. Um, I, I think they'd be dancing in the streets of the uh, MetLife parking lot, I guess, uh, if you told fans that the Giants had a chance to be 4-0. Um, and that's, that's in front of them now. Now they, they got to make the most of it. But it's it's definitely in front of them to be four and zero going across the pond to London. What percent chance do you think that that is? That I, I'm going to put it at at seven percent chance that they're four and zero going to London. I'm not optimistic, but what do you think? I'm going to put it more like twenty five percent. Okay, still, I mean, still not great, but but better. Backup backup quarterbacks in this league do not do well. I mean, I. Do, what, as we sit here right now, Cooper Rush coming into MetLife, who do you think wins that game? So, yeah, I think they have a shot. Uh, I don't know how I'll pick it. But you know how this is, though. You know, they're going to wind up losing to the Panthers or Bears, I bet. Right? <laughs> That's how it always goes, right? And remember, I mean, the Giants are a flawed team, too. Um, I, I, I think it's reasonable to ex- – Expect them to be uh, three and one going to uh, to London. And I think they would be very happy about that, and they should be very happy about that. Where the loss comes, uh, I think it could be this week. I I don't think it will be, but uh, I I don't know. You know, I four and zero is tough. It's tough to start four and zero in the NFL. Um, 
It is, and I think Baker Mayfield is probably better than people give him credit for. Yes. Uh, you know, so uh, – but it, it's – there's definitely three winnable games now in, in front of them, uh, and and I would have only thought there were only two winnable games before, and I, and I thought – I definitely did not think they were going to win the opener. So it's, it's a – it's a – Nice situation for them, for Brian Dable to be in, and it's a different than it was when we looked at it last week at this time, for sure. I don't think Sunday could have gone any better for the Giants, considering the Prescott injury and obviously the obvious fact that they won the game that they were playing in. Um, I don't think it could have gone any better for them. I mean, that they had they had to be so happy. Uh, waking up Monday morning and seeing the schedule ahead of them, obviously, you know, they're not looking ahead as they say, but they probably are. Let's be honest. Um, so <laughs> let's go ahead and give uh, everyone our can't miss pick uh, for this game. Uh, I'll, Bob, I'll let you go first. And uh, w- w- just what do you think score wise for Panthers at Giants on Sunday here early in the week? Well, I'm just going to give a warning label first. I think I had picked five games, was asked to pick five games last week, and I picked four of the five wrong. So. <laughs> Um, but I actually, I'm going to say that the Giants do win this week, uh, 24 to 21, that, that, you know, that the confidence is there. And I think that the running game with Saquon Barkley gives the, the Giants a whole different dynamic. Uh, and you know, the other the good thing that came out of Sunday's game is, you know, that Wondell Robinson was, uh, hurt, but otherwise they came out pretty unscathed injury wise. So, you know, I think. They're going into their home opener feeling pretty good, and I got them 24-21. I will pick Panthers 27, Jets – or uh, Jets, my goodness. Panthers 27, Giants 24. Uh, I could see it going either way. I think it'll be a close game. I got the Giants losing by three. The Your Wandale Robinson point brought up the fact that we, we, we totally did not talk about, and we'll do it here at the end just to tie a bow on all this, uh, because it is something interesting going forward as we pitch ahead here uh, to the rest of the early schedule. So Wandale Robinson hurt, hurts his knee. I don't think he plays Sunday. So then what do they do? They replaced him with Richie James in the slot pretty extensively in Nashville, which meant Kadarius Tony seven snaps in that game, which, I mean, to me, that says Brian Dable is telling this kid who is by all accounts healthy, uh, I need to see more from you, whether that's, we don't know to what extent, whether that's mastery of the playbook, whatever it is, he has not shown this coaching staff enough to, to for them to put him out there as, I mean, he should be a starting receiver. And if, a, and if the slot guy gets hurt, he has the ability to play in the slot and they didn't put him in, in there. Um, what do you, we'll see how it unfolds going forward, but how do you uh, how do you kind of process seven snaps for Kadarius Tony in the opener? Dable went out of his way his day after news conference to say it's not about him not knowing the playbook. Um, so I, I, for whatever that's worth, the, the one thing I did find interesting is the the two plays where he touched the ball in the second half. One was a uh, you know an end around, and then he then he was his best player of the game. I think he picked up. 18 yards or it was a long gain. And then they we're going to try to throw the ball with him. Uh, yeah. He played quarterback in high school. Yeah. So, so there were, you know, there were two plays that two, two interesting plays and kind of a way that say, Hey, are they going to use them that way? But that's not why they, well, I mean, obviously this regime didn't, but that's not why the old regime drafted him. Number one, they want him to be a big play receiver. And that's not who they think he is right now. 
Uh, they have more trust in Sterling Shepard coming back from his injury, who obviously had a big touchdown catch in the game uh, and a, a great moment for him. Um, to me, Richie James is one of the best stories in the in the in the uh, entire game. had had a huge game for them, um, and you know, Dable has some New England roots, and the Patriots are very well known for for Edelman uh, and Amendola and guys who you know wouldn't, wouldn't think would be great slot players when you just look at them became great slot players in New England. Hey, maybe. Richie James is a better player than we realized and more than a punt returner, but uh, it, it made for the, the entire wide receiver dynamic on Sunday was among the more fascinating things too. Yeah. I mean, and then that's a good point, broad point you brought up about the fact that, you know, he's going to play at least and certainly in the slot, uh, whoever he thinks gives him the best chance. And uh, David Sills even got more reps than Kadarius Tony in that game. And um, 20 more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, twenty-seven to to seven. Uh, I just to me, it's it, look. I mean, the guy we when we when he was drafted, it was you know, is he anything more than a gadget player? And and so far in his career, he has not been uh, anything more than a gadget player. So it'll be up to him, I think, uh, to continue to show this coaching staff that he could be uh, trusted in in more significant moments than they gave him Sunday. And uh, you know, everyone's going to say all the quote unquote. Uh, right things coming out of that game, but that's certainly one of the more notable things. And I did, I did accidentally mention the the, the Jets there. It kind of draws a little bit of a parallel to what happened uh, with Garrett Wilson. Now Wilson being a rookie and Tony being a second year player, not apples to apples there. But Garrett Wilson obviously it doesn't is not fully comfortable with the Jets playbook, but he he can make plays. Like it was evident in that game, they didn't play him a lot. Uh, but when he was in there, he did he did well. Kadarius Tony has the ability to move in open space and be dynamic. I just think, you know, for an offense that really for a half struggled to move the ball, they could use him. Like I understand, like you want all of your guys. Now, again, I'm not assuming he doesn't know the playbook, but uh, there are some shortcomings there, right? But but we know what's not a shortcoming of him, like his pure athleticism. I think that there's a way to use that in an offense that doesn't have a lot of game-breaking players. Like, no offense to David Sills, but he doesn't do the things physically that Kadarius Toney can do. Um, so I think that there's certainly a place for him in, in this offense. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they use him going forward. And a lot of that will depend, too, on, like, you know, the situation in the game. You know, if they're behind by a ton and they're going to have to throw the ball to come back, you may see him be more involved. So uh, we did forget to mention Tony. We got a bunch in there about him at the end. I'm sure we'll talk more going forward. But uh, so there are our picks. There's the recap. There's the look ahead. Uh, appreciate everybody joining us. And uh, welcome to Bob. And be sure to leave us a review, rating, subscribe to us on all your favorite podcasting platforms and all that good stuff. And we will talk with you guys again next week.